Welcome to The Evolved Nest. We talk about child development, human flourishing, morality, and society. You're welcome to follow us at www.evolvednest.org. My name is Mary Tarsha, and I'm here with Dr. Darsha Narvaez. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. Today, we're talking about an article that she wrote entitled The Developmental Niche for Peace, and it's written in a book entitled Peace Ethology. Thank you so much for coming here to talk about this chapter, and you could please explain a little bit about what this exciting chapter is all about. Thanks, Mary. <laughs> uh, well, in this chapter, I talk about a baseline for cooperative, peaceful society. Ooh. <laughs> and uh, I use as a baseline the small band hunter-gatherers. These are nomadic foragers who have no possessions virtually. Uh, they don't gather uh, don't cultivate plants and they don't domesticate animals, so they don't have any hierarchy because nobody has stuff to, you know, more stuff than someone else. And they spend their lives migrating around to food sources. And they're very happy. Uh, and they um, were, our 99% of our history was spent in this kind of society until about 10,000 years ago, depending on how you measure the changes, but even with agriculture, which emerged about 10,000 years ago, there were lots of these societies still around and they're still here today. And in these societies, um, <clears throat> they spend most of their time uh, relaxing and being together. They don't work very hard. And so why would they change to agriculture? It's a lot more work to be a farmer than to be a hunter-gatherer. Hmm. So in these societies, there are several characteristics, actually nine of them here, that I go through in my chapter about what social elements really contribute to a peacefulness that they display. Because they don't go to war. They might have, there might be a, a jealous rage that occurs once in a while or some feud in some of the societies. But a lot of them don't, nothing like that happens and they coexist with other groups and with one another. With The group keeps changing. It's a composite of people in, in from day to day. So there might be people, uh, five people today, and tomorrow there's ten. Uh, because people move around, they feel very free to do that. So there's a high autonomy. And yet when they're with each other, they will be highly communal. And so their first, if there's major conflict, their first exit would be to leave uh, rather than do anything else. So uh, Douglas Fry has uh, described these societies in, in uh, extensive detail and how they deal with conflict. So the characteristics that I talk about, uh, the first one is social intensity. So they, as I said, enjoy social company. They, they follow anthropologists around and think that they want to be with people. Even waking them up at three in the morning when they wake up, they think, you know, even anthropologists report, you know, putting a, tying their door shut if they're in a, a little hut or somehow trying to blockade pe uh, people from coming in. Oh, but they come in anyway and <laughs> because they think that's what you want. You always want to be with people, don't you? <laughs> so it's hard for them to understand the individualism and the uh, alone time that Westerners often feel they need. But they also are uh, very emotionally dependent on the sense of belonging that they have, the companionship they have with one another. They sit shoulder to shoulder, even in a big, expansive savanna, uh, or they'll you know, hang on to each other walking through the jungle. So there's just a high enjoyability of being with one another. And they socialize and sing and joke and dance. 
and uh, essentially spend their lives together. Now, this might not sound very attractive to an individualistically raised individual, but this is part of our heritage, and it contributes to peacefulness because it keeps you in the social mood. It keeps your oxytocin levels flowing, the cuddle hormone. It keeps your stress levels down because you're touched or being touched or um, you are touching or you're being touched, uh, and you are playing and and singing and all the things that keep the vagus nerve going well and all sorts of things are happening that facilitate a peaceful orientation. Hmm. A second one is group fluidity and mobility. So as I mentioned, the groups keep changing and relocating when when needed to uh, get other food supplies, but then people walk around on their own. They go off if they feel like it. The third one is personal autonomy. Uh, so... There's some variation on how much um, people help one another, how much you're responsible for your own food gathering, for example. Um, but there's no um, coercion, even between adults and children. No one's bossed around, and you, if you boss somebody around as an adult, that's a grounds for you know, the end of the relationship. Another characteristic is egalitarianism. They're fiercely egalitarian. Now, this might seem surprising if you think about our evolution and how hierarchical primates are, monkeys, for example. And yes, we have that in us. We have those tendencies, but we evolved uh, later. <laughs> uh, over time, humans became very egalitarian. Now, it's pretty easy to maintain if you have no possessions, right? So... Once we have possessions, then we start to have hierarchy, and that's where I think trouble begins. But back in these societies, it's egalitarian, uh, communal sharing, and sharing is another one. Uh, it's assumed that you will share whatever you have. So uh, when Native Americans met the Europeans, um, and the Europeans had uh, you know, a pack of something, the Native Americans would just take it and spread it all over and share it. And, and the thing was you keep things moving. So the European anthropologists who come with possessions, immediately their shirts or whatever are on someone else's back. And then next week it's on someone else's back. And so these things are always moving and sharing. Now, that's weird for us, too, in an individualistic society. But it is something that um, is um, really demanded in, in this more close-to-the-earth kind of society. So you share your food, you share whatever you have. And it's a, a communism, essentially a primitive one, and you really can't then fall into starvation or homelessness because you always have the group there that's supporting you. So it's a different kind of way of being. It's a communitas sense of community. We have couple more. One is uh, concern for public opinion. So Darwin, when he described the moral sense, and he came up with this idea because Herbert Spencer said, oh, humans are just selfish. Look at evolution. See, gene, there were no gene uh, awareness of genes then, but he said, oh, it makes you selfish to try to, you know, compete and survival of the fittest. Da, 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 da. But Darwin said, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. And he, he pointed to the tree of life and how you can see all the different kinds of characteristics that he said culminate in human moral sense. So the, the desire to be with others, the enjoyment of being with others, concerns for the 
opinions of others. You can see these in other animals, and then humans have it in, in, in a bigger way or more obviously. So even in these uh, small band hunter-gatherers, there's a way that this combines with the emphasis on egalitarianism because when a good hunter gets a big animal, the members of the hunting party insult the meat. That means they complain to the hunter uh, and denigrating the size or the quality of the meat, you know, saying like, oh, look at how little it is, or, you know, it's going to be really tough. I don't know why we got this, you know. We should go back and get a rabbit. It'd be bigger. You know, they keep doing these kinds of teasy things because they want to make the hunter laugh. And once you laugh, you change your mindset. So, you know, the hunter might be feeling really proud. Look what I did. Whoa, ho, ho, guys, come on. <laughs> Give me some <laughs> high five me. Give me some power, really, you know. And then the rest are saying, uh-oh, danger, danger. Don't let his ego get too big or he's a danger to us. And that's what they say. So there's a way that that, again, uh, that kind of playfulness with success also helps build a peaceful society, maintain a peaceful society. And then the last uh, set of things is this, um, having a sense of place. So even though the um, hunter-gatherers are migrating, they're migrating within the same landscape, and the they uh, they know it because they've been around there uh, so often and so uh with great perspective and awareness. And so uh, a European was criticized, how, how come you don't remember that bush? You know, we were by it, you know, five months ago. Why don't you remember the bush? Because they remember it all really well, you know. So uh, they, they laugh at the poor <laughs> memories of the <laughs> visitors. And they, uh, they then have a sense of being careful, too. So they don't stay in a place and eat all the, <clears throat> excuse me, eat all the fruits and vegetables or uh, and animals in a place because they know they have to come back next year. So they have a sense like migratory animals do not to overeat, not to overtake whatever the resources are. Hmm. Yeah, that's really very different kind of from our mindset of just take as much as you can at the moment for the here and now. Their their mindset is thinking more long term, right, than just in the immediate and an awareness of their connectedness to the larger um, ecosystem and even universe, I think you would say, right? That's right. So then what, what uh, we also see is a certain kind of adult personality that's similar across these societies. There's, they have high self-control. They don't fly into a rage. They don't suddenly, you know, get paralyzed uh, with fear. No, they have a high degree of self-control, high patience, waiting. Uh, and so they can wait for days for something, for example. Uh, and they have no sense of hurriedness like we have. We think that's normal. They're also kind and generous. Uh, as I said, sharing is expected, but they'll, you know, help someone who's in need. And they're open and flexible. They uh, will sleep wherever they they uh, fall asleep. They'll just pile up. <laughs> uh, and so they don't have a, you know, they're not rigid in the way we think is normal, you know, to have these routines that are very structured. They're less structured. They follow the, the weather, the time of day that maybe not. Maybe someone goes fishing at night and then gets a good fish and then they'll all wake up and eat, you know. So it varies. They're much more flexible than we are. Now, of course, we can't 
can't go back to this because we live in a different kind of society, but I think it's helpful to understand what leads to peacefulness, what kind of personalities emerge from societies that, like these societies, meet the needs of their children, which we talk about in The Evolved Nest. And so you end up with with adults that are pretty cool to hang out with, you know, they're <laughs> gonna have fun and they're, you know, patient and they help you if, if and they'll share. Wow, that's great. And there's not much aggression either because, again, they don't have anything really to fight over. They'll maybe argue, and the the kung, the son bushman, will you know have arguments about something, you know. But they'll tell stories, you know. And so uh, the um, peace building nest then is the evolved nest. That's how we get there. We, we raise children by meeting their needs with the Evolved Nest, which includes soothing birth experience, lots of affectionate touch, caring. It includes breastfeeding for several years on request. The baby's in charge. Uh, and, and, and even in some societies, it's a shared breastfeeding when needed, so it's not just mom. And then there's uh, multiple caregivers. It's a village that raises the child, and they're playing the whole the whole uh, company, the, the whole group is playing and singing and dancing. And so the child is raised in a very pleasant kind of uh, society that grows personality in a cooperative manner. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And I think, I mean, if you could speak a little bit more, I'm just curious about the understanding of how um, all of these factors influence and shape different personalities, which then lead to peacefulness, and how that benefits them directly, but then also as a group, how they they benefit from being peaceful themselves, they have more self-control, uh, but then also it just seems very apparent that this is evidence over, we're now hundreds and thousands of years, and how it led to the flourishing of these communities and the sustainability. And I often think that um, we might fail within our own lives to think short-sightedly in terms of sustainability and that uh, what is most sustainable for, is right relationships with others and with between different groups and different communities and how this actually benefits us directly, but then also um, fosters the well-being not only of our own group, but of, of others as well. So yes, say were, a little bit to that. Yes, the right relationships is really important. And uh, I've been reading lately uh, Rupert Ross, who's a lawyer in Canada who's worked with Native American communities or Native communities, First Nation communities all over the country. And he points, he's a, works on justice. And at first he would go into a community where there's an offender and then they had to decide what to do with this offender, you know, go through the courts, put him in jail, put him in prison, whatever it was. And he realized that the Native approach, the First Nations approach, was quite different than that. They didn't want their offending adolescent to go off to jail That would just or prison. That would make everything worse because, in their view, it's the relationship that was broken. It's the harm that was caused by a broken sense of connection. Hmm. Yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah. And so understanding that harm comes from... Uh, disconnectedness means that you're going to repair connection in order to bring about a peaceful resolution for everybody. And the way you bring about that connection again for that offender is they've got to meet in a healing circle with the people that have been offended. And if it's a, an adolescent that stole a body of bottle of whiskey, broke a window and just reached in and stole a bottle of whiskey from someone's house, 
it's not replacing the bottle of whiskey or the window. It's actually hearing from the community members, including that family, that they don't feel safe anymore. They're worried about someone coming into their house. They worry about the sounds, that creaky, strange sound they heard. Is that a, someone coming to get us? They worry about adolescents. I don't know. There's someone walking by me, coming by, who's an adolescent. I don't know if I can trust them. Should I cross the street? All that sense of distrust that occurs from an offense, a harm that was done, harms the whole community because they all feel less connected themselves. And so the offender has to hear that and take it in and then be resolute about uh, paying attention to respectful connecting, respectful and caring connection. And so that's a different way of being. And, and you can see in these small band hunter-gatherers, they are sort of like that too, uh, less structured that way than the First Nations. But um, again, it's emphasizing relationships and that's certainly in the indigenous communities around the world. Relationships include with the natural world. So your relationship to the river, to the animals that you uh, use for food or for clothing, to the plants that you harvest, you are responsible to be caring and respectful to all of those uh, entities as well as your community of human beings. Mm. No, that's really wise. I mean, I think we have a lot to learn uh, from from, I would say, our ancestors, would you say that, from our heritage here, because it is a it is a problem and a topic of much research and peace and conflict research of the question of how can we have sustainable peace, right? Not just coming in and fixing a solution uh, between warring communities or warring countries for a few years, but how can this peace be sustained for many, many, many years to come and for many generations, right? And so I think we have, there are a lot of lessons here that we can hopefully start adopting, right? So we need to get to the roots of how we move away from peace, right? So if you establish a person's personality to be disordered, dysregulated easily, stressed out easily, it's going to be hard for them to be a peaceful community member because they just want to withdraw or they want to punch somebody, right? I mean, it's like one or the other or just get really numb and so they're hardly there. So we need to make sure that every child is raised within that nest, provides uh, what they need at the time throughout their life, really, right? I mean, not, it's not just childhood now. Adulthood doesn't come about till 40, 50, 60, maybe. <laughs> so uh, we have to remember that the roots matter. The roots of who we are, who are, what our community becomes, is really critical. The right relationships start then. The seeds of morality, the seeds of virtue start in early life and in the prior generations who are then the nurturers of that life. Yes, very much. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Narvaez. We appreciate you joining us today, and we look forward to being with you next time.